Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. We're going to start in Genesis 4, 1 through 15. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must roll over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And I want to circle back and reread Genesis 4, 7. It says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Hmm. For those that are taking notes, my title is this. One step from an ambush. Let us pray. God, we come before you now humbly. Open our eyes today, Lord God, so that we can begin to see the ambushes of the enemy. We want to walk into new things. We don't want to keep running back into the same old thing, Lord God. We want a new experience and the enemy keeps coming at all sides and sometimes we don't know what to do, Lord God. Let this time be the change for us and let us be renewed forevermore in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I didn't understand the importance of an assignment until I was given one. I always hear other I hear preachers saying, I was given an assignment today from the Lord. 
And I was like, I was always, I was always like, wow, that's so cool. Like, what does that mean? I got one. It's not that cool. It's heavy. The thing about assignment from the Lord, it's, it's heavy. You feel the weight of it on you. Because the God, because God gave it to you to give. <laughs> Sometimes you might wish he gave it to somebody else, but he gave it to you. So I'm here with an assignment from the Lord with a specific word for each and every one of you. And, and I hope the same way this message has challenged me, it challenges you the same way. That it's like medicine. It might not feel good initially, but over time it'll bring about a change. Amen? Amen? I can't sit back as so many of us waste the seasons of our lives. We like to walk around and tell other people, oh, the Lord's just putting me through a test season. The problem is that you were in the same season last time. You learned nothing then, you gained nothing then, and you still made the same decisions this time. Still learning nothing, still gaining nothing, and you think this is a test. I'm sorry to say, you're in the middle of an ambush. We, we, we have to start really considering the decisions we make. We want the refiner to work in our lives. We want him to make us anew, but we keep making decisions and putting ourselves in places God never intended. How many times are we going to cry? How many times are we going to plead for God to remove this thing that he never had anything to do with? You're in the middle of an ambush. And it's important that we begin to check our lives. I love, I love what it says in Deuteronomy 31. It says that God will go before you, right? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But it never said that he was going to remove you from the responsibilities of the repercussions of your actions. It, it never said that you didn't have to still deal with that decision you made. And, and then on the inverse, we have Romans 8.28. And I, and I love that scripture because we know that all things God works together for the good of those who love him, underline love him, and are called according to his purpose, underline his purpose. So those that love him, his purpose. Who do you really love? God or you? Whose purpose are you following? His or your own desires? Because we can't continue to talk about test seasons if we don't really start thinking about the difference between a test and an ambush because so many of us are walking around considering this season something that is not. 
And I don't want us to leave here today. I don't want us to walk out these doors without having a change that happens in this place. We should leave this place with a new, more aware filter for our lives. And that's what leads us to our opening text, the story of Cain and Abel. It's a sad tale. I'm just going to be honest with you. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve, the first persons on earth. First persons created by God. It doesn't say whether they're their first children. We just know that they were the boys. That's what the Bible points out. And Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. And my whole childhood, adult life, and all those things, all the stories I heard a preacher talk about with Cain and Abel was about the heart posture in which we give. It's an important thing because it talks about how Cain gave some dusty fruit off the back of a truck to God, but, but Abel, oh Abel, he gave the fatted portion of a spotless lamb. Like, they don't even talk about the fruit that Cain gave. That's how bad it was. And I think it's important because Cain was learning how to give. He was learning what, he was learning what God would accept and what God wouldn't. But the important thing that we can't, we can't forget is that along the way, along the journey of him learning, he became downcast. And as I sat and looked at the word downcast, the definition for downcast is sad and without hope. Any of us ever been downcast before? And, and I was like, I was sitting there wondering, like, how are you with God? Because it's showing in the scriptures that he is with God. God is there. God is answering him. God is saying, nah, okay, yes. Like, God is physically there interacting with them. So how could you be with God and become downcast? And I had to really process and ponder what that meant. And I understand it now. It's a heart and mind posture. We can't let the things of the enemy fester in our brains. Philippians 4, it actually tells us what we should be thinking about. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Because honestly, any other all-consuming thought is an ambush of the enemy. He wants you to think different. He doesn't want you to consider those things. He wants you to think your life's in peril. He wants you to become downcast. And the sad thing is that Cain did become downcast. And God, and God tried to forewarn him because God is so good, right? But he understands he did give us free will, so we still get to make the decisions about our actions. And so God forewarned Cain. In Genesis 4, 7, 6 through 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And 
the real sad thing is that Cain was overcome by his sin. And in that, he committed the grave act of killing his brother. And the reason I bring that up is not because I think any of us in here will commit such a grave act. It's because I need to acknowledge that sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. There is no levels to sin. Any act of sin committed, no matter how big or small you consider it is, is an affront to God. It absolutely is. And we have to really start being mindful of our positions in life. Because so many of us are just one step away from an ambush. One absolute step away from an ambush. And some others are on that journey to our test season. We're walking on. God is, re- God is getting us in order. He's seeing what he can trust us with. And then we, we reach that fork in the road of life. And we got to make a decision about something. And sometimes we make the wrong one. And we might live with regret with that now. And hindsight is 2020. But we find ourselves shifting from a test season to a mess season. And wondering how we got there. But, but Proverbs 14, 12 talks about that. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. Yeah. Am I telling you that you can absolutely walk yourself out of your own test season? Yep. You can turn yourself around right before the Lord ever starts. So we got to be mindful of where we are in our lives, what we're doing in our lives. And I think it's real important as we continue that we begin to make a correlation between a test and an ambush. In all of our sermons of the series, we've talked about a test. The definition of a test is a procedure intended to establish the quality, performance, or reliability of something, especially before it is taken into widespread use. A test is meant to produce something. In the steps of the scientific method, after you test anything, a conclusion must be drawn about that thing which was tested. Now, some conclusions you might not like, but a conclusion was still drawn, right? So we have to understand that anytime we have a test, something must always be produced after the test. And I love what Yari preached in the first sermon of this series. She talked about the two reasons that God tests us. Number one, he wants to reveal AKA, he wants to show us something. Number two, God wants to refine. He wants to make us anew. And and so the, the beautiful thing about understanding what we're supposed to see is that we can begin to look at the seasons of our lives and start holding these seasons up to that which it is to produce. So if you're in the middle of your season and you're like, man, this is crazy, you can stop and take a moment and say, okay, what is God showing me? 
okay, okay, what am I seeing? Okay, I haven't seen anything, okay. Number two, number two, what is God doing in me? Okay, okay, I don't really feel he's doing anything. Life just seems a mess. Well, you might not be in the season you think you're in. Because the reality is an ambush don't sound as pretty. The definition of an ambush is a surprise attack by people lying in wait in a concealed position. Genesis 4-7 says that sin is crouching at your door. It doesn't want you to see it coming. Your, your, your lust doesn't want you to see it coming. Your pride doesn't want you to see it coming. Your greed doesn't want you to see it coming. Because it desires to have you. It desires to overcome you. The enemy wants you to make the decision you really shouldn't probably make. And I think it's important that as we have established that we understand what a test is and we have a definition of an ambush, that we can begin to draw the differences between a test and an ambush. Because if God wanted to reveal something to you in a test, then an ambush wants to bewilder you, to catch you at all sides, to confuse you about what is real in life. Until everything feels awry and we feel that God has no power in our life to help us in our situation. And if God wants to refine you in a test, then an ambush wants you to feel like you've made no progress through an endless cycle. You're always starting back at the starting line. We go through pain after pain, regret after regret, until we believe the lie that God can't do anything through us. An ambush. So today we must become more aware of all the ambushes in our lives and how we can avoid them. Number one, don't become prey. (laughs) And I have three ways I think we can avoid becoming prey. The first way we can avoid becoming prey is to determine what sin do you give off? What flows out of you? Proverbs 4, 23 through 24 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, yo, what you smell like? (laughs) Now turn to the neighbor who you didn't like the way they smelled. (laughs) I'm sorry, bad joke. Turn to the neighbor you chose second because you didn't like them as much. Wasn't even a better joke. Ask them, yo, what you smell like? And I'm looking, because if y'all start sniffing each other, that's going to get real weird in here. Don't be sniffing nobody, man. Especially y'all guys sitting by a queen, brother, please. That's weird, bro. Real weird. And we have to understand that as humans... We give off a natural scent called pheromones. Pheromones are substances which are secreted to the outside by an individual and received by a second individual of the same species. In humans, pheromones are known as a method by which attraction is created. 
What are you attracting? Body odor is a bit different. <laughs> I mean, it is. Body odor is what you smell when your sweat comes in contact with the bacteria on your skin. Body odor is generally the effect smell created through an activity or result of an active thing that happened or is happening to you. And I sat here and pondered on body odor. I did. And I thought about something real interesting. Some of us have been through so much hell in our lives, but no one can smell the smoke on us anymore. God came in our lives. He pulled us out the muck and the mire. They can't even see the mud on our clothes anymore. Some of us were really going through the worst of it. Fire was raging all around, and yet here we are, standing strong, and there ain't no smoke on us. So how many of us can take about five seconds and thank God that we no longer look like the hell that we have been through? No, 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 no. How many of us can thank God that we should have stayed right there and he came in and he pulled us right out when we deserve to be right where we were? And on top of that, in all that, man, we smell good. Amen? Amen? I think it's important that we really consider that all smells that come from our body are an effect of what's inside of us. And Jesus, Jesus really breaks this down for us in Mark, in Mark 7. And I'll set the stage for you. So Jesus and the disciples are, are sitting and eating. They're grubbing hard, man. They're hungry. And their hands aren't really that clean. But they're hungry. The Pharisees pull up and they're like, y'all, what y'all boys doing? Y'all didn't do the ceremonial hand washing, which sets Jesus off, right? So Jesus goes up and he starts getting them boys together. Really explaining to them that they can't use tradition for their own desire. They can't use tradition to check him. He hungry. And, and, and while he's doing that, he gives him a parable and we end up in Mark 7:15, and Jesus says this. He says, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Hmm. And after Jesus had continued his little check on the Pharisees, a little bit later, the disciples pulled up and they were like, Lord, can you kind of like explain all that you just said? Like, we just kind of want to understand it a little more. And we find ourselves there in Mark 7, 18 through 23. And Jesus says this. He says, are you so dull, he asks? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside 
and defile a person. The things that come out of us are what defile us. So what's inside you? Hmm. What's inside the deepest depths that you don't talk about? As we read earlier with the definition of an ambush, it happens in a concealed place. What are you concealing? What are those hiding places? What are those hidden activities in your life? Because those are the perfect staging grounds for an ambush. And the reality is some of us, some of us are making some really bad decisions. It's going to be a hundred with you. And there's a smell coming off. But we try to cover it up with the perfume of deceit. And we try to proposition ourselves and place ourselves in positions and places and make ourselves look like something we're not. When in reality, we need to come and make ourselves bare before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and repent of our sins. Because the reality is, do you know you smell like prey right now? Number two, be aware of your surroundings. Proverbs 4, 25 to 26 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the past for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. I love this set of verses because it's so straightforward. We are to understand where we are going, make sound decisions and how we plan to get there and don't get distracted along the way. It's so absolutely straightforward. And the reality is, y'all, in order for us to avoid the ambushes, we need to be more aware. We just need to be more aware, aware of our thoughts, aware of our feelings, aware of our decisions, aware of our choices. Should I answer that 3 a.m. are you up text message? Should I go in for that nightcap? Does this person have my best interest at heart? Will this action build me up or destroy me? We got to start having some come to Jesus moments with ourselves. Amen? And I love these verses because I believe there's two principles that we can get out of them to help us stay on the path. The first principle is stay on the current path, no shortcuts. Sometimes it's simple as staying on the path you're already walking. A lot of us get to Forky, we get to the forks in the road of life and we make some decisions. We'll look to our left, it'll be all murky. But let's say you'll get to your destination in five minutes. We'll look to our right, the clouds will be out, the flowers will be singing, but let's say it takes five days. We'll be like, you know what? <laughs> five minutes don't sound that bad. I'ma just try it out over here. Then we find ourselves over here in the middle of hell. 
Some of us needed that five days. Some of us needed God to work in us and refine us. Some of us needed that journey. But man, that shortcut was sweeter, wasn't it? We have people in here who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death by their own volition. Not because that was ever God's plan for them. Hmm. Another principle is to be mindful of what's in the brush. Don't, don't, just don't get distracted by life. Don't let it distract you. I, I'm going to sound old right now, but like, yo, this cell phone generation, they ain't got no situational awareness at all. Everybody walking around like this all day. They ain't looked up. They ain't looked around. They ain't checked exits. They ain't checked doors. They don't know who's coming or going. All we doing is this. But some of us treat our spiritual lives just like that. We ain't prayed. We ain't been in our word because there's so many other distractions. Oh, there's a cell phone. What's happening on TikTok today? I don't know. Oh, let me DM on Instagram. Let me look at this. Let me look at that. There's so many not so important distractions. So we walk through life like this with all these other important things happening. And then we look up and wonder how we ever stepped in some mess. You couldn't even see the ambush coming. So we have to be so much more aware and not get distracted. The third principle, you got to know your enemy. First Peter 5.8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I really love this verse. I, I love it because it directly challenges that notion of the devil made me do it. People love to say that. Oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, the devil made me do it. Nah, you made you do it. That was a cop out. That devil made me do it line. All the devil saw was easy prey. And so, and so, like I'm a nerd, y'all. Like I'm honest with y'all. I know Pastor Joanne said, "Oh, he's not a nerd." No, no, I'm. I have to tell you, I'm a nerd. I don't know why she with me sometimes. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. Because I'm really nerdy, so I so I look up things, right? Like I be watching Animal Planet and National Geographic, and I had to say that National Geographic. I think that's an important way to say that. And what you find is that big cats like a lion, they don't hunt out in the open. No, 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 no. They stalk. They hide. They watch. They wait for you to get distracted. They want you to make that prideful decision. They want you to look around and be like, man, oh, we be free and clear. I can do whatever I want. And they be sitting like, oh, oh here we go. Oh, here we go. It's about to happen. We're about to set them up for an ambush. And, and so, and so I, I think we need to be understanding that we can't let the prideful moments of life get in our way. We can't let these I got it, I think I got it moments get in our way. We got to keep our heads on the swivel. 
Because the enemy, your enemy, the devil, is just pouncing around, waiting. He's waiting for you. He wants you to make that decision. As you make it, he's teetering. He's, te- he's, te- he's, he's waiting for you to make that decision. And I think it's important for us to really understand the characteristics of a lion and how they hunt. Because we can, can begin to understand how the devil comes after us. And so I'm going to read the hunting characteristics of a lion narrated by Benjamin Johnson. (laughs) Lions are pride-oriented cats and hunt together with their pride. It's mainly the females that hunt, and it's a well-thought-out strategic method of hunting. The females target their prey and make eye contact with the rest of the pride, who are strategically surrounding the prey. The go-ahead is given with one look, and lions fly in from all angles. They claw their prey's rump, shredding the area, and clamber towards the throat region where they strangle their prey. When a prey does escape, the deathly clutches of the lions, they often die from injuries inflicted by the lion. How many of us can acknowledge we still got some wounds from the last time we ran to an ambush? Hmm? We, some of us didn't even think we'd make it out the last one. But by God's grace, we did, amen? We really got, underst- really got to understand that he's there. He doesn't want you to think he's there. The world doesn't want you to think he's there. He's right there waiting. Because the thing about an ambush only happens when you get close enough. He's waiting for you to make that decision that draws you one step closer to him. Because that's the only way an ambush is truly effective. And I think God is just really good. Because in the same way the enemy thought he had his little lions or whatever, God gave us a way to understand how to defeat and stay out the ambush. We could look at the other animals in the Serengeti. You guys say like that, Serengeti. <laughs> we could look at all the animals like the elephants, the wildebeest, and other animals like that because they move in herds. Herds are created for strength, protection, and accountability. It's a community. It's a community for your own protection. Because some of us are really out here thinking we can do bad all by ourselves. The enemy got you thinking, oh, I don't need all them. I don't need this church. I got just me and God. Yeah, you do. You can do bad all by yourself. But I promise me, promise you, you're going to be doing bad all by yourself. The church was built for community. God created the church for community. We are your herd. We are here for your protection. That's why the Bible says to not negate the gathering. The gathering was built for you. It was created for you. 
to keep you safe from the wiles of the enemy. Because the reality is, lions don't hunt a whole bunch of prey. They just hunt one. All they need is one. So if you want to be isolated, understand that isolationism is of the enemy. Because he wants you. It says in National Geographic, I'm going back, back to that, that the most effective time to hunt is under the, under the cover of darkness. When the prey can't even see you coming. Some of us have dark clouds over our lives. We're blinded by it all. We can't even see him coming. But thank God for the herd. Thank God that when someone else is sick in the herd, the herd can come around them. And we can walk with you and bring you up to herd speed. That's why we have community here at Cool Church. We have connect groups. We have dream team. We have Sunday services. The church is here for you. This family is here for you. We have discipleship classes. We have the ugly Bible club because some of our spiritual muscles are necrotic and we have no way to get through the next ambush, but God put you in the place right here so that we could walk alongside you, that we could lift you up, that we could build you up, that we could come alongside you and say, hey, we're gonna walk with you as you get back up to herd speed. Because the enemy wants to set you up for an ambush. The second way that we can avoid an ambush as the band comes up is to make the right decision. Make the right decision. And I know that I've been saying a lot today, right? And some of us may not be feeling the best about it because we can remember some situations, we can remember some places, and we might even feel in the moment that God may not see us or even care about us. I want to first start out by telling you that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. But the reality is Cain thought the same thing. It says in Genesis 4.13, the 15, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Will you have to deal with the repercussions of your actions? Yes, there's no way around that. Is God's grace still for you at your lowest times? Yes, he's still right there. And you got to consider that after the ambush that many of us have experienced in life, when we're sitting there and the enemy thought we were laying there for dead, and our friends have turned their backs on us. Our family has turned their backs on us. And we're just lying there. He comes along like the good Samaritan. His grace comes along and swoops us up and nurtures us back to health to let us know that he's never left us and that his grace is sufficient. How do I know that? Genesis 4-7. The first sentence in Genesis 4-7, actually, it says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
The Amplified Version of Genesis 4-7 says, If you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? Okay, what, what is pleasing and accepting to God? Okay, okay. I, I remember Romans 12 too. It says that, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We can't make the same decisions as the world and expect to avoid an ambush. We have to be aware that we were set apart. He set us apart. And we have to understand that in order to be set apart, a change must occur to us. And once we understand that change, he can begin the good work in us. And even in all that, I don't want us to get confused about this. Just doing good works and living a right life would not get you to heaven. Not at all. That answer, no, no, that's, that's a simple answer. That answer is Jesus. That's your way to heaven. Romans 3.24 says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That means the right decision we need to make is Jesus. He tells us in John 14.6 that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is by no other means, by no other way, can you get back to God but by salvation in Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other path. You can't create one. It doesn't exist and it never will. And the second part of that, that first verse is what really got me. It says, will you not be accepted? So I was sitting there like, yo, what does that mean? What does it mean to be accepted by God? And I sat in my word and I was trying to really figure it out. And I landed in Romans 8 where Paul talks about the fact that we have been, have been adopted into the sonship. And it's Romans 8, 15 through 17. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So I was like, all right. I'm going to just look up the word adopt. I'm just going to really understand what's going on here. And adopt means to legally take another's child and bring it up as one's own. Okay. So, so I, just, I just kept reading, right? I, just, I started going through the synonyms. I'm like, I need, to make, I need this to make sense, right? And some of the synonyms that I read were embrace, acquire, affect, espouse, approve, endorse, accept. Oh. Okay, now, now, now mind you, God is the father as, is, as in the fact that he is the creator of all things. 
because everything has come from him. So therefore, he has fathered all. But our understanding of him sometimes is from more of a positional standpoint than a relational one. And the reality is that we weren't destined to have eternity with him anyway. We were forever destined to be separated from God because of sin. He can't look upon sin. He can't be around sin. So how then could civil creatures ever be in his presence? So something had to happen. Something had to change. So he sent Jesus and the way was made. The way was made right back to him. And that's the beautiful thing. That's why Paul's like, we have to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, not just Father God. We be singing songs in Sunday school like, Father Abraham had many sons. Like, we understand it from an aspect that that man had authority. But Abba, Father is way different. In Greek, it's Abba Hopater. It's a, absolutely a familial term. So what that means for us is that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, there's no popping circumstance. There's no pretense to how you get to God. You just have the opportunity to just say, Dad, again. You don't got to call him Father God. You can say, Daddy, I need you. Pops, I need you. Because we're no longer separated. Accepting Jesus connects the father and the child again. We're reconnected to together. And it's important that we really understand that we were destined legally for a life separated from him for eternity, forevermore. And then Jesus came. And Jesus, he embraced us with his love. He acquired the keys of hell, stealing the power the grave had over us. When we meet him, our lives are affected in a new way. He espoused us to him as he is the bridegroom and we are his bride. He assumed covering and protection over us. He approved us. Romans 8.30 says he justified us. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now advocating for you. He's endorsing you right now in the most beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing is that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will also be accepted back into the sonship. You will now be considered children of God and co-heirs with Christ. So my real challenge to you today is that if you want to stay away from the ambushes of the enemy in your lives, You need to choose Jesus today. There's no way around it. You need to choose Jesus right now. Thank you so much for listening. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends because it helps so much. 
Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.